I want to thank you uh, for praying for me. My name's Scott, uh, one of the pastors here on staff. Actually, the, the Duex, the thing with the uh, Duex in Senegal is at our house, if you don't know who Scott and Jolyn are. So I think it's in the bulletin. Um, thanks, man. Uh, I know uh, some of you were, or many of you have been praying for me. I had uh, back surgery this past week. I had a herniated disc the last six weeks and uh, just been going through that. And uh, Came out of surgery, not feeling any pain, and it is a wonderful thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy. So uh, having a big cut in my back is nothing compared to sciatic pain. That's all I'm saying. And if you have pain, back pain, mm, man, I feel for you. Like, oh, I don't know how you do it. Like, so anyway. I'm doing good. We're going to jump into Romans here, and uh, I'm not going to be moving much around this stage. Uh, so if you want to turn to Romans chapter 4, uh, we're going to be jumping into that. Um, we've been in this the past uh, several weeks, uh, talking through this idea of faith. And um, one of the things that, as we come into this time, uh, Paul's trying to make this point about what faith is. And the first three chapters, he sets up this conversation by talking about, hey, look, this is where the, the, the human condition is this. No one's righteous. No one does good. Everyone has a sin problem, and everyone will be held accountable and is facing judgment and condemnation from God. And, and he makes that point so clear. You, you can't get around it at all. Everyone. And then he comes to the end of chapter 3, and he says, but there is a salvation solution, and it comes by grace through faith in Jesus' blood on the cross. And he shifts this to this explanation about what this faith is, is, is about and the context of it. And uh, he starts talking about these big words of justification. And justification is this you know, $10 word where God says, look, I will declare you righteous. I will take away your sin and remove the condemnation and judgment and, and basically say, you are free and clear before me. And I will give you my righteousness. So that's justification. Chapter 4 begins this battleground for Paul because the word faith, which is just, it's an easy word, right? Like, it's not complex. Faith, right? But it's become messed up and, and co-opted and perverted and twisted into something that faith isn't. And so chapter 4 is really Paul trying to pull faith and rescue faith out from what it's been twisted into. And so the last three or four weeks as we've been in chapter 4, the title of chapter 4 has been sola fide, which is, you know, it's the Latin word for faith alone. And Israel has twisted and corrupted faith, justifying faith, for generation after just generation, almost all the way back to the generation after Abraham. And so he starts to try to say, hey, look, this is what it's about. And you would think, given how clear and the painstaking detail Paul goes into in chapter 4, that the church would never mess it up. It's so clear, right? And yet the church messes it up. The church still twists it up. And, you know, I refer to a book that I've been reading, or just finished reading. It's uh, On Luther, a biography of, of Martin Luther by Eric Metaxas. And, and Martin Luther isn't the only guy that was around during the Protestant Reformation. In fact, there was many people within the church that was trying to reform it. 
Martin Luther just happened to be kind of the flashpoint where it all sparked. But uh, one of the guys, the characters that was around during the 1500s was this guy named Tetzel. And the, the church had empowered him to go around and to raise money by selling indulgences. So if you bought an indulgence, you were buying forgiveness, and you would get a, a signed, sealed paper from the church that said you had been justified, right? You, you had forgiveness. Or you could buy an indulgence, and the money would go to the church, and, and you would get back a thing saying you just bought so many years off of purgatory, or you could buy somebody else's years off of purgatory. So Tetzel had just finished, or was actually in the German city of Leipzig, I think is how you say it, and he was selling indulgences and making a lot of money. And a nobleman came up to him. This is a true story. A nobleman came up to him and said, Can I buy an indulgence for a sin that I haven't committed yet? And Tetzel said, Well, sure, you just have to pay for it right now. So he buys an indulgence for a sin that he hadn't committed. Now, that's just messed up. I mean, that is so messed up. So Tetzel gets done selling all his indulgences heads out of Leipzig, goes across the countryside, while well, this nobleman catches up to him, beats him up, steals all his money, and pulls out his little indulgence thing and says, that's a sin I had in mind, and, and goes off. The duke, who was over that territory, was incensed that, you know, because Tetzel's under his, uh, under his protection, under his covering, and back then you had the church and politics. It was all together. And so this duke is freaking out like you just are going to bring the wrath of the church on me. And he gets upset. And then he gets finally to the bottom and he hears the nobleman's story. And when he finds out the nobleman actually has an indulgence for justification, that he is actually justified for God, before God for beating this guy up and stealing the money from the church, the duke's like, well, what can I do? You got an indulgence. Sorry, man. The guy gets away with it. He gets away with all the money. Beats him up. Why is this jacked up? This is messed up. We don't sell the indulgences here. Although it might help raise money. But that's, a, that's another thing. We won't get into that. So let me ask you something. If I were to ask you, write down what is justifying faith? What are the elements of justifying faith? Could you do that right now? Just off the top of your head. Could you write down what it takes, what components are of that? Or is it one of those things where it's like, Oh, come on. It's, it's like, I, I know what it looks like. Don't ask me. I can tell what justifying faith looks like and feels like. I, I got it figured out. Well, wherever you fall on that, chapter 4 is about defining justifying faith. And Paul goes through very clear details of it. As he begins chapter 4, he says this. He says what it's not. And in chapter 4, he starts with this, Now a man who works, right, he deserves his wages. Um, but he says this, and actually, I'm jumping ahead. In, in chapter 4, verse 2, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He goes on, he says, now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, meaning, oh, you know, here's a gift, but an obligation, meaning the, the employer owes it to him. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. What Paul is saying first, justifying faith is not by works. It's not by works. Then he goes on, verse 9, and he says this, and he starts to talk about this idea of circumcision. 
and the law. And he says, Abraham, was Abraham sealed? And, or when was Abraham credited righteousness? And he goes through this whole sequence and this idea that, no, it's not by works and it's not even by religious works because the sequence of how Abraham was justified, Abraham believed first, then it was credited to him as righteousness, then he got the sign of circumcision. And he believed first, then he obeyed. The righteousness came after justifying faith. It's not by works. It's not even by religious works. Paul is trying to make that very clear as he begins. I think also as we, we go through this, Paul makes something, and I think I got this out of order, didn't I? Did I get this out of order? No, I'm, I'm still good. Okay. So faith is not this. What Paul goes on to say in verse uh, 16 is that faith is really open to everyone. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, meaning the Jewish nation, right, the, the Israelites, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, meaning anyone. And he actually, he, what he has said is a repeat of what he says in chapter 3, where he says, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there's no difference. So what is justifying faith? First, it's open to everyone. Anywhere, anytime, any nationality, any continent, it's open to everyone. It's, it's a simple thing. Faith is simply trusting, and anyone on this planet can do that. It's not hard. In verse 17 and 18, Paul goes on, and he says this. Actually, the promise, let me just read verse 16. The promise comes by faith. So that may be by grace and may be guaranteed all the Abraham's offspring, not only to those who have the law, but also to those who have their faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. As it is written, and this is a quote from Genesis chapter 12 and 15, I've made you a father of many nations. This is God talking to Abraham. So then Paul concludes, He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Here's the second thing he talks about justifying faith. It's in God. The object of justifying faith is God. And in particular, there's two things that stand out in the story of Abraham about God. These aren't the only things of God, but these are two major themes in Abraham's life that have to do with this justifying faith. First, he is the God who gives life to the dead. Now, this is interesting. Paul pulls in resurrection power several times in chapter 4. I love it. He's the God that gives life to the dead. That's resurrection power, right? And he's the God that calls things that are not, meaning the things that don't exist, as though they were. That's creative power. Abraham's faith, when he encounters God, these are the two things that come to play in his life and that stand out. His power over death and his power to create things that are not. The object of his faith from the beginning was God and who he was. Justifying faith must have as its object God, this God. Not only did his faith have this object of God, what's interesting is the next few verses, Paul says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. 
just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. So without weakening in his faith, he faced the facts that his body was as good as dead and that his wife's body, or his wife's body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Justifying faith, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but there's an aspect Paul teaches about justifying faith that it has the ability and the freedom to face the facts. You don't have to run from the facts. Justifying faith doesn't mean we just go bury our head in the sand and pretend nothing is happening. Justifying faith says, this is what's happening. This is reality. And sometimes in the church, you hear of people saying, oh, no, 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 you just got to believe. You just got to believe. Don't talk about that because that destroys belief. It's like, well, no, those are the facts. Can we just... Can we all just agree those are the facts? Justifying faith is not afraid of facts. It's not. It's just what is. You can face them. I can face them. It's cold, hard facts. And what's interesting is he pulls back in two themes again. Death. His body is good as dead. But the other thing being the fact that there is no family, let alone a nation. So how does this God who has creative power, how is he going to work? So it's the two things that he's struggling with of death and something that doesn't even exist. And yet, and here's the other aspect of justifying faith, he faces the facts, right? His body's as good as dead since he's about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Verse 21 being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Justifying faith has as a component being fully persuaded. Fully persuaded, fully convinced. And, and, and here's a, a piece that we have to, we have to delineate or, or, or make sure that we're, we're clear on is justifying faith is not faith in miracles. Justifying faith is not faith in the impossible. Justifying faith is, first of all, faith in God who makes promises. Does that make sense? Because people can have faith in miracles, and that doesn't even make any difference. People can have faith and promises, but if they're not rooted in God, it's a meaningless promise. The object of our faith is God, and therefore we are fully persuaded because of God. Not because promises are out there, or miracles are out there, or whatever is out there. And so he's fully persuaded, justifying faith, or Abraham's justifying faith is this. He's fully persuaded in God who made a promise, and he's not going to waver from it. No matter the facts, no matter how many years go by, no matter if it's death, no matter if it doesn't even exist, he's still convinced that the promise God made, because it was God, it'll happen. The facts never destroyed his faith. He never wavered. And then Paul brings something in at the very end. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God right there. 
He was strengthened in his faith, and he, what? Gave glory to God. Justifying faith has this element where we glorify God. And if you read through Genesis, it's interesting how that plays out. His first encounter, Genesis chapter 12, God says, I'm doing this for you, I want you to move. What does Abraham do? He glorifies God and moves without having a child and without having a nation, right? Second encounter with God, chapter 15, God shows him the stars, says, so shall your offspring be, and what does Abraham do? He goes and walks the land and he builds an altar and worship. Third encounter, chapter 17, God comes to Abraham and says, hey, we're going to do this thing. What does Abraham do? He falls face down on the ground. Twice it says he fell face down on the ground. Now, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I don't think you need to learn the language of another culture. I don't think you need to learn the traditions of another culture to be in a context where you see someone fall face down before somebody else. We all know what that means right? That is complete humility. What is it? Subservience, surrender, worship. He fell face down before the Lord and gave him glory. These are the elements of justifying faith. And Paul concludes this. This is why it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Because he had justifying faith. God gave him a promise, and because he believed in God and his promises and didn't waver through unbelief and gave glory to God, he was justified. And in the last two and a half verses, Paul now flips it. He spent all this time rescuing this word faith and now he applies it to jesus and this is what he says the words that was credited to him were written for not for him alone meaning abraham but also for us who believe in him who raised jesus our lord from the dead he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification and what paul does now is he applies faith to us. And what he says is this. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For anyone who believes, right? So you just go back through what is faith? Faith is open to anyone. Anyone who will believe in him. Very simple. There's no, faith is only open to those who are cleaned up. Faith is only open to those who who are actually halfway decent. Faith is only open to those who have a, a better life, who try harder, who have... No, faith is open to anyone. Anyone. Go down the list. That's justifying faith, open to everyone. Justifying faith must be in God. And he says, it's for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And you see the object of faith right away. Who, who's the object of faith? Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So you have God the Father right here, the one that Paul's already referred to as the one who, resurrection power, right? Creative power. Then you pull Jesus 
our Lord in, and now you have the Lordship of Christ, not just Lord, small, lowercase l, but capital L, Lord of the universe. Fully God, fully man. The object of our faith. If we believe in him and our Lord Jesus, that's who our faith must be in, must be in. Not only that, faith faces the facts. And the facts, as Paul reads those or writes about this, is he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. So what are the facts? We are in sin prior to this. We need to be justified prior to this. That, that's the facts. We've all fallen short. Everyone is powerless to work their way to justification. Everyone is powerless to keep themselves from an eternal punishment. Those are the facts. And then he goes on and he says this idea of, if you want to take the idea of faith, fully persuaded. So it's us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Fully persuaded. The words that was credited to him weren't written just for Abraham. It's God's promise to us who are fully persuaded. He will justify you. He will take your sins. He took the punishment for our sins, the penalty for our sins. He removes those things and he puts in us his righteousness. And we stand before him innocent and pure. Justifying faith says God will do this despite who we are. In fact, that's why God did it, is because of who we are. And he loves us so much. And the last aspect of faith, justifying faith, is this call to glorify God. Worship him. All we can do is praise him, glorify him, you know, hear these stories of Caroline and Amber. And uh, it just brings it all back. And, you know, I've, I've thought about what, what does this look like um, as we, we come to the end of chapter 4 and Paul's talked all about this. And I don't know. I, have you ever just fallen on your face before the Lord. You ever done that? I, I kept reading this story about Abraham, and, and what he had was a promise for a family and a nation. And this wasn't even about this justifying faith where he, God comes and he says, look, I'm giving you a promise to save you from your sins and forgive. I mean, you think about I don't know about you, but I have a whole list of things that I know God has forgiven me from. You have a whole list. And maybe he's forgiven you and set you free, and, and you don't remember most of it anymore because he's like, it's gone, so why keep bringing it up? I know, I know, I, 
our cultural context, we, we're not that expressive. It's just who we are, and we're trying to get over it. But have you ever fallen before your Lord? I was just talking to someone who was part of a Catholic uh, service, Catholic church, and uh, it was over Easter, and the priests, when they were getting to the point of the service where it was about Jesus' crucifixion, there was three priests up there in front, and they all three fell down before the cross. And it wasn't for like 10 seconds or 15 seconds. He said it went on for like five minutes just before the cross in worship. And I just have this picture of, of just you. I don't know what this looks like. If you haven't made this decision and, and you're trying to figure out what you believe and you're hearing stories, these stories, I would encourage you. It's simple. Just as simple as this message was. Just believe and trust in God and Jesus and what he's done for you. But we're going to give some time just to respond. And it, it may not be, you know, that you could fall down here, and I certainly can. I don't know if I could get back up if I did that this morning um, with my back, but and maybe you should kneel. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, what to do with your hands. Like, that's, I get that. You come here, like, you see some people raising your hands. You don't know what to do with that if you're newer. Sometimes raising your hands is a sign of surrender. Sometimes it's a sign of help. Sometimes it's a sign of worship. And maybe you should just raise your hands. I don't know. Or maybe you should just not say a thing and just say, I worship you. It doesn't matter what the other person is doing. What matters is the glory you give God. And so we just want to make this a real simple time. You and your Savior, worshiping Him.